online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, one of the biggest names in whiskey, Sandy Hislop, is the blending boss at the mighty Chivas Brothers. We'll talk about how he started, his ethos and approach to innovation and what's inspired him over a 40-year career in the whisky business. Plus, of course, how he likes his perfect dram. It is no exaggeration to say that Sandy Hislop is a whisky legend, the director of blending and inventory at Chivas Brothers. He's only the fifth master blender in the distinguished history of Ballantines. And he now oversees that venerable brand alongside all of Chivas Brothers' single malts and blended Scotch whiskies, including the Glenlivet and the Royal Salute Prestige range, amongst others. Not bad for someone who came into whisky by accident, or at least serendipity. I'm delighted to say Sandy has taken time out from his busy schedule to join us now. Uh, Sandy, welcome to The Drinking Hour. Thanks very much for having me. It's a great pleasure. There's plenty to talk about. You started in 1983 in Dundee. Um, Just tell us where and how you got into the whisky world in the first place. My story into the whisky world is more by chance than anything else. I wanted to go and study chemistry. My father wasn't very keen on me going to university. He was... uh, ran his own business and some of his friends that kids had gone to uni had come out and not really done anything successful and he was a bit worried it was going to cost a lot of money for me to go and study and then what were my prospects at the end but if I'm if I'm absolutely honest with you he spotted a job in the local paper for a job with Stuart's Cream of the Barley Whiskey Company working in their laboratory sample room and also you got day release to go and study chemistry up in Aberdeen at Robert Gordon's and he said to me this is the job for you chum you should be you should be applying for that. You could finance yourself through uh, through your studies. Um, so probably probably I was a bit coerced into it. But to be honest, very quickly I started having an absolutely brilliant time working at Stuart's Cream of the Barley. And it was absolutely the right thing for me at the end of the day and gave me a fabulous grounding in whiskey working in a small company with lots of different things that you got involved in. It was, uh, yeah, but, but to answer your question succinctly, it was just by chance. Yeah, what a piece of chance. What serendipity. Yeah. So how did you then develop this very specific skill set? Obviously, you've been doing it for 40 years. So these days, experience is a very large part of your skill set. But how did you learn things like nosing, for example? When I started working, I was I was working as a, a sample room assistant. So I was setting up all the samples for the master blender and making sure that all the right reference samples were set up against the new production, making sure the triangular tests were all properly 
set up and and he he started getting me involved in it and started getting me to do the triangular tests which are two the two of one whiskey and one of another and can you pick the difference can you differentiate the flavors and i was able i was able to do that quite quite easily and i was i started doing more and more with the master blender and ended up he wanted me working with him full time but i think it was just I found it quite easy to articulate flavours, David. I was able to to tie smells and aromas into my life experiences and things that I've had. And I was able to remember the links. You know, if I smelt a smell, it would link me back to, you know, peaches and syrup or homemade jam or toffee or certain sweets or or, or places I had been. So I I think what helped me move on quite quickly was I was able to describe flavours and remember them with those descriptions. That's really interesting because the wine world is is my world and I'll meet someone who has nothing to do with wine sometimes and they will come out with the most incredible tasting note the most incredible description of a wine and it is possible i think just to be to an extent a natural isn't it i think i think yeah i think some, it just it just comes it just comes easy to you and flavors and descri- describing flavors and articulation of you know aromas is is something that is is very very personal to people you know and, and i really encourage it in my blending team is that I'll say you'll never become a master blender using Sandy Hislop's words. You need to have your own words and be confident with them. And I'll be listening that you're using the same words. So it's about that. It's about that flavor book inside your head, your life experiences that you have had and all these things. that, And if you can link into those and help you explain the flavor and remember so that when you know it and you know you get those flavors, that is a specific whiskey or a specific brand. I'm sure you inspire many members of your team and actually doing my research, my homework, it's quite clear you have been an inspiration to uh, many over your lengthy career. Who has inspired you along the way? No, what a good question. I've been really lucky to work with lots of very passionate and capable people in the whiskey industry. If we're going to pick out one, I worked with the the legendary Jack Gowdy, who was the, the master blender for Ballantines. And he, he also served more than 40 years with the company. And he was, he, he instilled lots of great um, passion, knowledge in me to be able to manage not just the quality, but to manage the continuity of whiskies year in, year out. He was, um, he was certainly a very, very strong mentor for me in my career and was very very helpful and and it was a big move for me coming down from the east coast down to down to glasgow working down there and he really took me under his wing and was fabulous in developing my skills as a as a blender and as you developed those skills um what would you now say is your ethos uh, when it comes to blending my job is probably split into if we're going to be really simple about it it's split into two two categories it's into one category of looking after the existing blends that have been available for many many decades and making sure that the quality and the continuity of these are adhered to year in year out but also in the whiskey industry these days you know innovation is massive and myself and my team are responsible for all the new product development within the within the company so a lot of my time is taken up with experimentation cask trials working on different flavors so it's really varied it's really varied and really really wide as in the remit that i have with my team 
I was going to say, uh, I mean, it brings us neatly onto this issue. As director of blending, how do you balance this super important heritage side? You know, you're, you're dealing with the kind of the crown jewels to a certain extent, one of Scotland's oldest businesses. And mm-hmm. yet at the same time, you've got to innovate and change to, to stay current. How do you manage to balance that? Yeah, that's that, that's a really good question. And and balance it, you have to do. And, you know, if, if we have, you know, I, I'm looking after a lot of very, very well-known, world-famous brands. You know, if we take Chivas Regal or Royal Salute, you know, my job is to make sure that Royal Salute 21-year-old signature blend, the flavour stays the same. If, we, if we're looking to innovate and make a new flavour or try something different, we will create a brand extension. I won't meddle with the 21-year-old signature blend. We'll create something new, something, a cask finish, or try and try something new. So it's not a case of my job is to deviate from the signature style of the whiskey. It's to make something new that people will enjoy. So... With that in mind, what would you point to as an example of innovation that you're really proud of? Oh, wow. I've been, I've been really fortunate in my career. I've been able to do lots of different expressions. You know, I, could, you know, I, I created the Chivas Regal, Mizanara, Glenlivet, Caribbean Reserve. I've been really fortunate to be able to create all the different Royal Salute polo expressions which have had some amazing cask finishes that are to be honest the royal salute polo expressions are like a hobby for me because they're a they're a one-off expression that's made you don't have the shackles of having to worry about making it next year you can just make something that is just absolutely amazing and it's a one-off you know you're going to have to make something different next year so it's it's an opportunity to showcase what we can do in finishing whiskies and by the same token Within the portfolio, you have these treasures, these legacy products, not to be tinkered or, or trifled with, but potentially. Yeah. So how do you go about kind of protecting the integrity of those products whilst sort of being conscious that you also potentially need to evolve them? It's a big job, and it's a job that needs to be managed right from the day the distillate is made. You know, I, 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 as a master blender, I'm blending all the mature whiskies, bringing them together with my team. But also, every single week, myself or a member of my team will be up in Speyside checking the new distillate from each of our distilleries. So we have a really strong influence on the whisky that's been laid laid down for the future. So that that whisky that's been laid down for the future is part of my job. I'm responsible for casks as well. So our cask procurement, what we bring into the inventory to fill that new distillate into, all these all these things set the standard for the future. So your question, you know, how do you manage both? You make sure that you have the right tools laid down many years in advance to give you that flexibility to be able to innovate, to be able to keep the continuity and innovate at the same time. It's a heritage business, but a lot must have changed across 40 years. I mean, if you think about everything else, over 40 years, then there have been uh, significant uh, changes all around us. Uh, what has changed in your world? Yeah, there's quite a few things. Probably the biggest, the biggest thing is, is process control. You know, when I first started in the industry, you'd have, a, you'd have a stillman at the distillery who was the great-great-grandson of a stillman that had been there before, and he would 
do it exactly the same all the time, and then you'd get another Stillman running the distillery just slightly different, and you'd get little variations. Now we still have these Stillman running the running the process, but there's much much more great computer control in there. I can if I set a standard of what we want from that distillery from the new distillate before it starts that maturation journey, I can hit that hit that target nearly all of the time because of the process control that we have now that we didn't have in the past. So that is one of the kind of most significant changes. I'm guessing there are things that are still exactly the same as well as they were 40 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. How we how we assess all the individual cask samples, how we pilot blend our high aged expressions. Yeah, absolutely. They're all they're all exactly the same. And and even running the, the spirit cuts at the distillery, we have a big input into that that we make sure that the distillery is producing the same flavour as it has over the decades. And to what extent is your job science? Uh, you mentioned that you you studied chemistry, and to what extent? Is it gut instinct? I'm sure it's both, by the way. I don't doubt that. But what's the kind of the breakdown, the balance, if you like, between those uh, two areas? Yeah, it's gut instinct. I would say that it's 80% gut gut instinct, 20% science. You touched on it earlier on when we were talking there. You said it's built up over many years' experience. You know, you're... You're learning on the job all the time. And I still find even after 40 years, we still stumble across really good expressions and things we can try. Things that we think are, you know, exciting that turn out to be a surprise and you end up going and, you know, really developing it further. Which brings me neatly to one of the inherent pitfalls of innovation. And that is, of course, mistakes. Um, They are inevitable many would say a crucial part of innovation Uh, i don't know what your view is on that but in your illustrious 40-year career i'm assuming that not everything has gone swimmingly have you have you made a kind of a big misstep or mistake along the way that that uh, that that would potentially you could learn from that might inspire others yeah interesting interesting question i think that the company absolutely encourages me to experiment out with the marketing sphere to and and I am feel that Chivas Brothers puts me under no pressure for every single one of those experiments to work, David. I I am actively encouraged to experiment and if it fails, well if it fails it's still good knowledge. You know, that I think that every bit of knowledge helps you along the way. And sometimes if it does fail you then say, well let's try something different and it works out even better. You know when I was developing the Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve. We were bringing rum casks in, and we were trialing them, and it just, it just, it just wasn't working well at all. The the, the intensity of flavour that we were looking to get through to balance with that really sweet Glenlivet character just wasn't working. And 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 we tried a few different batches of casks in, brought in from the Caribbean, and it just it wasn't working at, at all. And then I decided that I was going to go and we we're going to make the commitment to bring high ester rum to Scotland and condition our own casks. And, oh, my God, what a difference that made. We were able to really control the flavour balance. We were able to get that intensity of flavour that we wanted coming through because you needed that to to be able to to support the malt whiskey and to complement it. So, yeah, lots of different experiments. Yes, yeah, sometimes they don't work. Sometimes they don't meet your expectation. But, yeah, I feel under absolutely no pressure for every single experiment to work, David. Yeah, that's good to know, a kind of lesson in life. Long-term thinking must be 
at the heart of your world, given the products that you're creating. Are you naturally a, a really patient person? Is patience uh, you know, truly a virtue in the world of blending? I, am I a patient person? Probably if you asked my team or asked my, uh, my family, they'd probably say no. Do you have to be patient working in my job? Yeah, you do. So it's probably the perfect storm, David. <laughs> it's probably the perfect storm. <laughs> you find a way, though, to keep yourself focused on the horizon, I guess. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's hugely important. And I, I've talked about this before when people have asked me about my job and how I how I, you know, how my career has gone, how my job has evolved. And when I was first appointed master blender, I was blending whiskies that had been laid down by the previous master blender for me. And that that just showed to me how it made my transition into master blender jobs so much easier because the house was left in good order for me. Then as, then as my time evolved as Master Blender, then I started blending whiskies that had been laid down under my tenure. So that, that was super exciting to be able to have seen the whole process end to end, that you were blending something like Shivers Regal, 18 years old, and you'd been there when the original distillate had been laid down. I think that's great. And for the younger expressions that we're producing, I, I'm still going to see that end to end all the time. You're going to see that coming round. But something like Glenlivet, 18-year-old, or... Valentine's 17 year old the new distillate that's being that I'm checking every week that's getting laid down into cask I won't see that now I'll be retired when it comes out as scotch whiskey so it's it's very important for me to meet my side of the bargain and leave the house in good order for the next lady or gentleman that becomes master blender you are a custodian then really absolutely yeah absolutely and and I would be number one I would be mortified if anything went wrong on some of the amazing brands that we have with a fabulous reputation during my tenure as Master Blender. And also I am I am really, really focused on making sure that the stocks are right for the future so that everything can be continued in the manner that it has been. Though Chivas is a, a big brand, you're not beyond releases that are vanishingly small, perhaps 100 bottles or so. Candidly, there's, you know, potentially a risk of, I suppose, disappointing those who'd love to get their hands on something. When I noticed that a release like uh, Royal Salute Jubilee Edition amounts to 147 bottles, I hope I've got that right. I mean, that, that that's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is a challenge. I think, I think in the case of Royal Salute, we have lots of really passionate consumers that love Royal Salute. You know, it's a bit of a hidden gem, Royal Salute, you know, created in 1953, the only whiskey in the world that's been available at 21 years old continuously since then. That's a massive commitment to quality to lay stock down for 21 years. And these these small additions, these small additions are small for a reason, David, because they are very, very special and very precious. You know, the, the, the Jubilee edition, we finished that in, in Tony Port casks and it contained whiskies. It contained whiskies from distilleries that are no longer in, in existence. We hand prepared that blend in the sample room because we don't have massive stocks. It needed to be managed from start to finish. You know, we have that, that, that blend contains whiskies from distilleries that are way gone, no, no longer in existence. You know, Capardonic, Inverleven, the malt whisky still at down at Dumbarton and Lochside, up in Brechin. You know, these whiskies are just like, wow, super precious. So we only have very limited quantities. So it's 
that's why we end up at small numbers like 147 bottles. Which brings us neatly to the image of Scotch whisky, because it can sometimes feel exclusive, <sighs> arguably alienating to some with its royal connections and so on when compared to say gin or or rum for example that are arguably you know um, more accessible approachable in terms of of image is that something that you feel is important is it something that concerns you i don't think it does concern me you know we have our, we have our traditional whiskey drinkers who who, who like the long established whiskies but you know, Chivas Regal has done some amazing work over the past five, ten years in innovating and producing different cask finishes. You know, we have rye cask, we have rum cask, we have all sorts of sherry, selectively sherry mature. We're able to offer people lots of different flavours. And our teams at our teams at Chivas Regal have done an amazing job of producing fabulous cocktails that are I think are, are introducing many more people to Scotch whiskey and letting it let breaking those boundaries that Scotch whisky isn't something that has to be drunk neat. And because it has, you know, really strong, concentrated, sweet flavours in this in this, the case of Chivas Regal, it makes an amazing base for being versatile and producing different kinds of serves. Have you seen a change in the kinds of people who get excited about uh, Scotch whisky uh, in the time that you've been producing it? Yeah, I, I- I do see I do see a big change. I see lots of younger people coming into the to the arena of the single malts and the blends. I also see people want to know much, much more about the how the whiskey was formulated. How did you mature it? How do you blend it together? What kind of casks did you finish it in and what kind of wood is that? Everyone wants to know much, much more detail about how you form when I first started in the industry, people just bought the brand and that was the flavour they liked but they want to know the backstory they want to know the craft how did you pull it together what commitment did you make when you when you laid it down in warehouse how long did you leave it in warehouse how long did you finish it for so yeah there is much more much more thirst for information about our whiskies you have a uh, an incredible, for want of a better word, you know, an incredible train set at your your fingertips. <laughs> an amazing team. You work for you know a big corporate entity, if you like. Um, although I appreciate you're making you know artisanal products and in very small releases as well. Do you enjoy working for a, a bigger player? I think I've got the best of all the worlds, to be honest, David. I, I I'm working on you know big world famous brands that have been in existence for a long long time but also I'm, I'm able to produce really small batch single cask releases you know I have my across myself my team we have 42 new product development projects live at the moment so it's it's super interesting it's varied there's lots of different things you know I'm one, one, one day I'm working on Glenlivet, making sure that we're managing Glenlivet 12-year-old. Then the next day I might be working on a very small batch release for Scapa Distillery. You know, so it's it's really varied. And I, I think that broad spectrum from one of the larger brands right down to the small single cask, small batch is just perfect. And my team love it. They love the variety that comes with that. It sounds like you actually have quite a lot of freedom. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes, I do have quite a bit of freedom. But I think that's 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 a level of trust that's been built up over a long time. You know, and I, I, I'm not just saying it. I'm hugely passionate about the whiskies that 
that we produce here at Shivas Brothers. You know, I, I, I love, I'm really proud when a new expression comes out. And so are my team. We, we, we love it. We're passionate about it. We love the whole, the whole adding something to the, the portfolio, to add something to the Shivas family or to add something to the Aberlauer single malt family. It's really, I, I, I'm really proud when something comes out like that. And I, you travel a lot, I notice, um, kind of spreading the word on Scotch whisky. Do you kind of consider the role you have to be ambassadorial as much as about um, that production process? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll straight, set the record straight on that one. When I became Director of Blending and Inventory at, at Chivas Brothers, um, we had it written into my contract that I only travel four weeks a year. So... My job is absolutely not a bias towards ambassadorial. Um, we cannot, the marketing cannot use me for more than four weeks to travel. So it keeps it that the other 48 weeks of the year, excluding, including holidays, are, um, are totally focused on blending, quality management, making sure our brands stay the same. And my office is right next door to the blending room. So if I was to split my job between marketing ambassadorial and whiskey quality management i would probably say ambassadorial is five ten percent of my job so i'm very much hands-on as far as blending and quality and flavor management is concerned that's very interesting that's clearly a deal breaker for you that's clearly something that's very important that the balance yeah remains that way it could easily david it could easily spiral out of control because i i I also love talking about Scotch whisky. I love being able to extol the virtues of how we we made a new blend or how we manage the quality of an existing existing whisky. But I need to do my job. I can't I can't do my job if I'm flying around the world in a seven four seven. That is for absolute sure. And it was it was it was refreshing for me when we got the agreement when I got the new job to make sure that it was written into my contract so that it couldn't spiral out of control. Interesting. Let's get personal. How do you like your whisky? I like my whiskey with water. I probably add about 20% water into my whiskey. I, I, I feel it opens up the flavour, and that probably ties back to the work that I do in the blending room because in the blending room, I'm testing everything at 20%, whether it's a cask strength sample, 48, whether it's new distillate, whether it's grain new distillate at 90%, everything's brought down to 20%. I, I like it probably about 30% volume if we're going to get techy about it. I like my whiskey about 30% volume. I also... I have a real, in fact, I'm converting all my chums to it. I love a whiskey highball, and I have I have it very regularly these days, but I'm fussy about it. It has to be a good measure of scotch, and it has to be big ice cubes. It's got to be big ice cubes because I hate small ice cubes melting too slowly, filled right up with soda. I love it. It's refreshing, about the same strength as a beer. Super tasty. If you've got a good whiskey that's got lots of flavour in there, it will carry through to the tall glass. Yeah, that's a very good point on ice cubes. Um, drives me mad with a G&T as well, if you have small ice cubes. Yeah. Very yeah, quickly, just, the drink has fundamentally changed, doesn't it? It, it, makes, it makes your drink lacklustre. It just, it, it, it just dissolves way too much surface area of the small cubes, melts way too quickly, spoils the drink. I'm really fussy about it. It's interesting that some of the background material that I was uh, sent by your team, you talk about the uh, misconception that serious whiskey drinkers only drink it neat. And that's really interesting. As I was reading this, and I don't uh, regard myself as a, a whiskey expert, I'd always assumed that, you know, serious whiskey lovers had it neat. I think 
I think the new generation of whiskey drinkers are much, much more versatile and like to like to try it different ways. You know, if I if I if I'm drinking whiskey with my my friends and we're away for the weekend, I can guarantee that if there's five people there, they probably drink it three different ways. You know, it's not it's not it's got to be drunk neat anymore. People understand that it's about getting the best flavour to suit your palate. And I would really encourage everyone who's starting their whiskey journey to experiment. Get that bottle of whiskey that that you want to try and serve it up in different ways. It's your whiskey. You enjoy it the way you like it. And I'm interested to hear you talk about bringing down those alcohol levels when you're doing your kind of laboratory work for want of a a, a, a better yes. a more romantic word to describe a laboratory but but what why do you do that yeah there's two distinct reasons we're nosing a lot of samples i probably nose somewhere like 1500 samples a week so bringing it down to 20 percent means that i can nose many more samples without my nose becoming anesthetized so i'm able to, to test whiskey the second thing is adding water to whiskey adding water to alcohol creates an exothermic reaction so you get a bit of heat coming off so if you add water to the whiskey and you've got it in a, in a nosing glass with a watch cover on the glass you're actually trapping the flavors that are coming off with that heat in the headspace of the glass so it actually makes it easier to identify the different flavors in the whiskey so in, in basic terms it's all about making the job as easy as possible I think as well, the, the third thing that's worth mentioning is if you nose a cask strength sample against a bottle at 40%, there is going to be a level of intensity of the alcohol that is going to sway your judgment when you're nosing the samples. It's about bringing them all to the same strength when you're organoleptically assessing a sample. Bring them all to the same strength, then you're only evaluating flavour. You're not getting any interference from alcohol intensity. Very interesting. We're going to feature at the end some medal winners from the IWSC from your own stable. I should ask, you know, you do very well a trophy that we're going to feature amongst the many gold medals. What does it mean to you personally to get that recognition? I, it's fabulous, David. Love it. Absolutely love it. I love it, the fact that all these samples are sent from case stock. All the case stock is judged blind, independently, it's real. It's it's proper proper. It, it's a proper assessment and and something that yeah it does mean a lot to me. It does. And if you are assessing a whiskey, how do you go about it? What are you looking for in a whiskey that, if you were judging a whiskey, someone else's whiskey potentially, um, what would you look for? What what it, what makes it a winner? Well, I, I've been very fortunate, and I I am a judge on the IWSC, and I, I get to to go and judge the judge all the whisks, the whiskey category and I, I, all the whiskies are split into categories so you know you, you're perhaps nosing an Isla or a standard brand or a, an older than 12 malt whiskey so I, I, I'm looking for I'm looking for cask influence I'm looking for concentration of flavor I'm looking for balance I'm looking to make sure that there are no off notes creeping in there that would you know that, that would you know, bring the bring the bring the sample down or bring the whiskey down. So there's a lot of different things I'm looking at. Certainly in, in that environment. In my own environment in the blending room, I'm I'm always setting everything up against an organoleptic gold standard. I, ha- I have standards prepared for everything so that the team the team are never asked to nose or assess a sample without there being a reference sample 
to check it against at any given time. And that's a reference sample at all parts of the production process, whether it's new distillate, whether it's cask strength, whether it's bottling strength, there is always a standard for them to take to check it against. And so they're learning all the time, you know, within your team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And anyone who's assessing whiskey throughout the business is working from the same organoleptic standard. How big is your own whiskey collection? My father, father was in the antiques business and he's, 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 he's a bit of a collector and it's rubbed off on me. In fact, my wife says that I've got hoarding issues and if I wasn't, um, if I wasn't married to her, I'd be in deep trouble with all the things that I collect. Um, and whiskey falls into that category too, David. I do have a big collection of whiskey. Um, I like try my very best to try and get one of all the new expressions we make. Sometimes the exclusive expressions like the Royal Salute, Platinum Jubilee, I didn't manage to get one of them, but that was hardly surprising because that was incredibly special and was um, a bit out of my price range. But I love, uh, yeah, I have a big collection of whiskey. I, I, I don't know how many bottles I have. I'm, in fact, I'm be terrified to count it all up. But mostly, mostly whiskies I've worked on. I, t- I, I can't expand it out into just whiskey in general because it would just take up too much room. You do get denied the odd bottle then you don't you don't manage to bag a bottle of everything you create sometimes it's you know even you are not allowed one no on many occasions david yeah and sometimes i have to be a bit of a pest to chase up the marketing teams to get bottles because they they just naturally presume oh sandy's a master blender he must have access to all the bottles he must get stuff all the time whereas i don't because all the samples in my blending room are duty free because we're allowed to draw samples with his Majesty's Customs and Revenue permission to do so, and all the bottles that come in are not usually the final product. We don't get them with the labels on them or anything like that. So, no, I don't have access. So I rely heavily on the marketing team to be very generous and either give me a bottle or I'm always checking the staff the staff sales to see if there's anything interesting that I have missed along the way. So, yeah, I am, I am a very, very keen collector, but sometimes I have to dig deep to try and find the things I'm looking for. And even I've even backtracked on occasion and gone on to some of the whiskey auctions to try and get whiskies that have been produced during my tenure early on and I haven't managed to get them to try and fill the gap. So I'm definitely a completist. Yes, and uh, definitely a, a, a very determined collector um, uh, as well by the sounds of it. Um, you enjoy whiskey with food i know tell me about some because we don't always think about whiskey in the context of of food um i think the sort of stereotype is um is to 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 drink it on its own or um you know as a, as a mixer but um, it does have great versatility with food doesn't it it does it does and, it, and it, it's not just it's not just one course you know i i think it's Whiskey's fabulous with smoked salmon. You know, smoked salmon, it's just absolutely perfect. If you get a really nice, rich, sweet, space-side flavour, it's great. With, with with any sort of steak or meat, it goes really well. And uh, desserts, desserts are, there's, a, there's a Scottish dessert called Cranachan that comes with um, sort of cream and oatmeal and berries in it. And that is just brilliant. If you can get something that's like a sherry cask matured Aberlour, just goes perfectly with it. Yeah, Cranachan, if I've said that correctly. Yeah, yeah. I hope I have. Yeah, I've, I've been fortunate enough in the past to go to the odd Burns Night Supper, and that's the only time I've ever had it, and it's delicious. And yeah. yes, my, with a, with my, a single one. My, yes, one of my, it's my, um, one of my absolute favourites. In fact, everybody says that I'm a bit of a, a Cranachan connoisseur. I'm, if it's on the menu, I always have it, and everyone's always asking me to score it against what I've tried before. <laughs> 
Oh, I bet. And do you also do what probably we all do and sort of round off a good night with a with a, a quick dram as well? Yeah, love it. I love it. I love it. Just sitting down of an evening, just enjoying a dram before I go to bed. I love it. I love it. I love that. And I love I love being able to try, have different bottles open. You know, you were asking me if I was a collector, but I'm also someone who opens them too. You know, they're not, not all my bottles are absolutely sealed pristine in their box i love sharing it i love being able to let everyone let my chums try something that i've been working on it's really important it does sound um to uh, a great extent like you have the best job in the world really that's certainly what all my chums tell me that's for sure yeah yeah they tell me that uh tell me i've got the best job in the world yeah do i, do I think i've got the best world job in the world david yeah i do i love it love my job never have any hassle coming into work Love working with my team. I've got a really passionate expert team that work with me. Yeah, I'm a very, very lucky chap to have stumbled into the whiskey industry and 40 years later later to be able to be responsible for some of the most famous brands in the world and be able to, to innovate, to be able to do cask trials. It's just, yeah, it, it's fabulous. It's great to hear. Um, a tricky final question, I appreciate, but we uh, tend, when we have some of your stature, uh, to ask this question. Um, it's the desert island dram question. I'm assuming if you were stuck on a desert island, you, you could have one drink. It's going to most likely be a Scotch whiskey. So if that is the case and you're stuck on that desert island, what's it to be if you could have anything you wanted? Wow, that's 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 tricky. It's like asking me which which is my favourite child. I have a lot of I have a lot of fabulous whiskies at my at my disposal. I absolutely well, I have a bottle of Royal Salute Polo Estancia open at the moment, and I absolutely love it. It's twenty one year old blended whisky finished in Argentinian Malbec casks, and it's absolutely delicious. If you were, and I always like to answer a question straight, David. And if you're going to ask me what what's my desert island dram, what would it take? We produced a 29 year old Royal Salute that was finished in Pedro Jimenez casks for nearly two years a few years ago as a very limited release, and that would probably be the one that I would take to the to the island with me for sure. Yeah, and you've got plenty of islands to choose from near where you are of course not desert islands necessarily but but still uh, islands no, to enjoy them yeah, absolutely yeah i'm a lucky I'm a lucky man sandy it's a, a great pleasure i know you're a a lucky man and a very busy man as well so thanks so much for uh, taking the time out uh, to uh, share your experience uh, uh, with us uh, here on the drinking hour you're very welcome david i really enjoyed that hopefully catch up soon the drinking hour with david kermode in partnership with club onologique the world through the lens of wine and spirits. Let's round off this edition with some IWSC medal winners, as always. And our theme is, of course, whiskey this week, starting with a trophy winner. So an award that represents best in show. Chivas Brothers Royal Salute 62 Gun Salute Blended Scotch Whiskey won a gold medal with 98 points uh, and went on to scoop that trophy as well. Tasted by uh, Deval Gandhi, uh, Richard Patterson OBE, uh, Eddie Ludlow, Guy Hodcroft and Emma Walker. Uh, Here's what that uh, panel said. Old leather and polished mahogany on the nose with an intense, sweet and spicy palate. Flavours of sultanas, dried fig and nutmeg shine through. Uh, the finish is bright with some sugar and pineapple syrup. 
outstanding, they said. And that's why it got that trophy, presumably. And here's another gold medal winner from Sandy's stable, also scoring 98 points from the same tasting panel. Chivas Brothers Royal Salute, 30-year-old, key to the kingdom, blended Scotch whiskey. The tasting note, nicely weighted and complex with flavours of bacon fat and barbecue sauce. Sweet spices shine through with hints of geranium leaf, candied ginger, polished oak and figs. Well balanced with a lovely traditional character and a lovely tasting note as well. Royal Salute had a sweep of medals, but here's a third from elsewhere in the Chivas Brothers range. Abalaua Abuna Speyside Single Malt Whiskey, a gold medal winner with 96 points. The judges said this, classic style with balanced oak notes on the nose, combining with confected red fruits and spice on the palate with sweetness ending in a licorice finish. Sweet and spicy with clear wood dominance on the palate, viscous and lush. Well, that's it for another episode of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to uh, Sandy Hislop for a fascinating chat and to you uh, for listening as well. Hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram or Twitter, now known as X, of course, or you can follow uh, Club Onologique, and I am Mr. Venusaurus on both those platforms. Until next time, though, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.